Hey, how's it going, folks? It's Abdullah. And Bean. And welcome to a very special episode of Great Moments in Weed History. It is 710. As you might know, this is the holiday associated with cannabis concentrates. Because if you flip the number 710 upside down, it looks like it says oil, which is another name for the general term associated with cannabis concentrates but in weed world this is kind of a second 420 of sorts and it's a big day a lot of people are celebrating the consumption of hash oil isn't that right Bean? yeah it is the 420 of concentrates you know we've had episodes on this program talking about the long long history of concentrates going back thousands of years and we have this sort of modern dab culture that's emerged in maybe the last 15 years and we're gonna tell a story in this episode that is kind of the intersection point between the old world of hashish and the new world of cannabis concentrates. It is, of course, one continuous story, but somebody, somewhere, had to invent the dab. Yes, that's right. A lot of people do not consider this as they take their delicious hash rosin hits out of their turp slurpers, crazy double recycler dab rigs. You don't realize that this is A relatively recent innovation when you look at the very long history of cannabis and that, in fact, the origin story of where dabs came from and why they came into existence is super, super fascinating. And it connects with one of the most interesting facets of American substance culture. Yeah, we're not going to have a story about research scientists working at a university uh, laboratory. But we're going to talk about people who were on that level when it came to science and innovation. They just happened to be more closely associated with an LSD producing, I don't want to use the word cult, but maybe in there a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Also, international smugglers of many substances. This episode is going to take you from uh, Laguna Beach, California, all the way to Kabul, Afghanistan, and really bridge the two worlds of cannabis. And when we say these guys had acid, we're talking about the best goddamn flim flam zippity zop acid that's ever existed. This <laughs> shit is legendary, and you're gonna hear more about it in the episode. It's a really fun one that we first broadcast a couple seasons back, and we hope you enjoy it on this very special day. And as always, a huge, huge thank you to everyone who supports us on Patreon. We really appreciate you. You guys allow us to keep making this podcast the way that we want to make it. And we eternally appreciate you for it. If you do not support us on Patreon, but you're interested in checking out the bonuses you can get by doing so, please go to greatmomentsinweedhistory.com. You can watch the video version of Great Moments in Weed History. You can, at the $20 level, get a signed copy of my book, How to Smoke Pot properly mailed directly to your home and it is all happening at great moments in weedhistory.com please help us make a new episode every weed on weedness day with your support great moments in weedhistory.com 
com. Now, I have got a live resin pen from our sponsors for this episode, Herb, who specialize in Delta 8 products. What I've got right here is a Cranberry Kush live resin pen. This is available to you anywhere in the United States. I'm about to take a couple puffs from this guy. Bean, what do you got going on over there? Oh, I'm urban it up as well. Last year on 710, we had a special. You can go back and listen to it if you'd like, where I got a crash course in cannabis concentrates. And I'm very upfront. You know, I enjoy them, but I have way more to learn and experience in that area. So it's pretty exciting that we have a sponsor for this episode who creates cannabis concentrates that you can get in any state, a lot more information about that after the theme song. For right now, I'm about to hit this live resin pen myself, but I'm going to wait for just one millisecond because perhaps on this holiest and highest of hashish holidays, you're not ready. You don't have your hash rosin, your diamond sauce, your batter, your sugar all ready to dab it's cool. Just hit pause. Get your endabulator set up. Do what you got to do to get where you want to get. Because when you hit unpause, we'll be ready for another great moment in weed history. Bean, so uh, I'm going to light up this J over here uh, and I'm going to take a sip from my beverage. Yeah, well, I'm going to start out in the Socratic method. I'm going to ask you a question. Who invented the dab? Ah, who invented the dab? Wow. So I feel like there's probably, knowing Weed World, several people <laughs> who try to stake claim to this, uh, who who argue with each other and forget that the whole point of this thing is that we can all get high together. But I'm, I'm not exactly sure who invented the dab. Who was it? Yeah, well, we should. That's a good point. We should be clear on our terms. So when I'm saying who invented the dab, I'm not uh, looking at the consumption method so much as the production of a concentrate using solvents. Ah, okay. So you're talking about the person who actually invented... BHO, perhaps, or uh, high-quality cannabis concentrate. Yeah, made with a chemical solvent. So the, the concentration of cannabis flowers into concentrates, or hashish, to use the original term, obviously goes back thousands of years. Yeah. Um, but this, we're looking at this more modern process using a chemical solvent. Right. And for anybody at home who's not sure about these terms that we're using there's cannabis concentrate, right, which is the resin of the cannabis plant, which is hash. That could be like old school Moroccan hash. But a lot of what you see in the U.S. today in terms of cannabis concentrate is solvent concentrate, meaning there is a chemical solvent that you pass through the cannabis flowers and it strips away the resin and only the resin. And then you purify that, you purge it of that solvent. And what you're left with is cannabis concentrate, which is referred to as dabs or as wax or as oil or as any other number of terms. Live resin, for example, which is very popular nowadays, is cannabis concentrate, often solvent concentrate. 
made using live plants. So that's what we're talking about here. And this was a huge innovation in cannabis because it's a relatively recent one. It allows you to really taste the flavors of what you're consuming. It's in many ways a purer form of consuming cannabis than simply smoking the flowers. Uh, So this is big news and it kind of took the cannabis world by storm. This is what you'll find in a cannabis vape cartridge is most likely a solvent concentrate of cannabis. Yes, absolutely. And we should say some of these, the the THC percentage can be 90% or higher even. Yeah. So what you have is like this incredibly pure draw from the entire plant, just minus the plant fibers. All right. Are you ready to meet our inventor? Yes. All right. I'm so curious. Well, all too often in the world of cannabis, such monumental achievements end up lost to history, particularly innovations and accomplishments that date back to the bad old days of total prohibition. Right. You know, people don't want to take credit for inventing something illegal. Right. And this is true of so many strains that were developed, right, by people using pseudonyms because they didn't want to be identified as the person behind a certain strain or something like that. We don't even know who invented the bomb. Yeah, I mean, we don't. It was definitely a Scythian, right? Yeah. Like 10,000 years ago. So actually, when it comes to who invented the dab, we have a primary document to work off of. And that is because on October 3rd, going be a little earlier than you thought, and me too. Huh. 1973. Whoa. Yes. The United States Senate Committee on the Judiciary held an eye-opening hearing entitled Hashish Smuggling and Passport Control, colon, The Brotherhood of Eternal Love. Ooh. Wow. Mysterious. And so this kind of sheds some light on this story. I, first off, am super excited for this story because, I mean... A lot of people don't realize how much dabbing and how much solvent concentrates change the cannabis game in so many ways, you know, as far as the consumer experience goes, but also its practical purpose, right? Which has been the practical purpose of hash from the cannabis plant and the concentrates of many other plants for centuries and centuries and centuries is that it's a lot easier to carry around a brick of cannabis concentrate than it is to carry around the equivalent amount of cannabis flowers or cannabis plant. So it was essentially developed for smuggling, for trade rather than smuggling because it was totally legal when it was being carried by merchants on the Silk Road between uh, Asia and North Africa and Europe, right? So that is kind of the reason that people concentrate any number of things, including cannabis, and makes it easier to transport. And when you take a map of the old hashish trade routes and lay it over with the spice routes and the Silk Road, it's that old, it's that intertwined, and it's those same cultures that originally brought us uh, concentrated cannabis. Yeah, exactly. So hash has this beautiful ancient history, but it also has this really fascinating modern history that is happening every day right now. And it started in 1973. Yeah, well, and these two worlds actually are going to collide in this story or compress Ah, in this story. Yes. A little rosin joke there. Yeah, thank you. So we tend to think of dabs as a fairly recent phenomenon, but as the hearing's official transcript makes clear, uh, so this is this... uh, 
U.S. Senate on the Judiciary Committee. Yeah, uh, on, huge on, dabbers. Oh, man, <laughs> just ripped. Uh, and, it's, and it's about the Brotherhood of the Eternal Love. Does that ring a bell at all? Brotherhood of Eternal Love. It's really ringing a bell, but I can't remember from where. So the U.S. Senate Committee on the Judiciary is having this hearing about the Brotherhood of Eternal Love. And during this, we discover who invented the modern dab. But first, I think we should talk a little bit about the Brotherhood. Let's do it. Let's maybe join it. I don't know. (laughs) Will there be an opportunity to sign up at the end of this description? We will. We'll talk more at the end. (laughs) (laughs) This is the Brotherhood of the Eternal Love. Founder John Griggs, and this is in the 60s was part of a violent Southern California gang known as the Street Sweepers. All right, so a precursor to the Brotherhood of Eternal (laughs) Love. Gotcha. One night, the Street Sweepers conducted an armed raid of the home of a famous Hollywood movie producer who they'd heard kept a large supply of LSD on hand at all times. Whoa. So he was, like, constantly puddling? (laughs) (laughs) LSD on hand. That's, uh, you know, if you have what hippies want, they'll eventually break into your house and take it from you. I guess this, well, this, uh, I don't know if the street sweepers were quite hippies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, they certainly did break in. And so they managed to get all this LSD without uh, any violence. The, 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 the producer, who has never been named in this story, was just like, take it, take it, take it, and said something to the equivalent of, this may not be what you want. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> you know, like, oh, my God. Foreboding. Yeah. It was definitely Quincy Jones, wasn't yeah, it? <laughs> little bit, a little bit of that. So uh, along with his accomplices, they managed to get away. Or was it Phil Spector? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, sorry. No, I didn't mean to say Quincy Jones. So along with his accomplices, Griggs ingested a massive dose of this stolen acid as they're speeding away in the getaway car. Whoa. By dawn, this violent gang, you know, armed gang, the street sweepers are all rolling on the ground on the side of the road, awestruck by the universe. Wow. Holy (laughs) shit. So it was good acid. And it was, you know, like five dudes in the car. They pulled over and they're just flat on their back, like breathing the universe. Wow. See, that's what acid is supposed to do. Make you feel one with the universe. Make you feel like everything is beautiful, which it is if you're on acid. But not only that, Griggs, the later the founder of the Brotherhood of Eternal Love and all of his other street sweepers, take their guns, throw them in a ditch and renounce violence forever on the spot. Wow. Holy shit. Great moment in LSD history. Yeah, seriously, man. (laughs) That's such a beautiful thing. And you know what? It goes to show that if more people in the world used psychedelics occasionally, it would probably be a better place. And that's not that crazy of a thought when you realize that there was a time in history when lots of people were doing psychedelic plants as part of their religion, as part of their spiritual beliefs. And those were pretty awesome societies throughout history, you know? Yeah, and uh, don't mix guns and LSD, though. They do not go together. This is a very isolated incident. Oh, my God. All right, so this gang of thugs steal a bunch of acid from a producer, take it, realize that life is beautiful, renounce violence, and cast away their weapons. 
holy shit, what happens next? All right, so Griggs starts up a commune in Orange County, California, that is dedicated to surfing, psychedelics, and learning self-sufficiency because they are planning to eventually break away and form their own society. Wow. Okay, so the acid really worked on this guy. (laughs) No longer a street sweeper. I mean, this is also kind of this idyllic, uh, beautiful conception of like a utopia that you hear about sometimes, you know. It can border on cultiness, which, you know, the name Brotherhood of Eternal Love definitely hints at, right? (laughs) But, you know, in theory, a lot of it is just people trying to create a society free of all the kind of poisonous thinking and behavior that we see in the world around us today. Yeah, this idea of utopianism is an old one, and I think it is linked to psychedelics. In the idea that, you know, if you start to break down the divisions between yourself and other people, then the idea of living communally uh, just seems right. And I really do think that probably is the natural state of humans to be communal and psychedelic instead of uh, individualistic and antagonistic all the time. This is the dawn of the Brotherhood of Eternal Love. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're also sometimes known as the hippie mafia. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know if you've ever heard that term. I have not, but I like it. Yeah. I've... It makes me think of like those dudes like selling weed and acid and pipes on like a fish lot, you know? They're kind of like hippie like mobsters. Those you know? are like low level knock around guys. Yeah, yeah. Those are street guys. <laughs> yeah. Those are the guys who they like get pinched. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you, you did good, sunshine. So these are like. You didn't squeal. <laughs> <laughs> so these are like the Dons we're talking about. Oh, uh, these, these, so they're best remembered today uh, for producing and distributing copious amounts of a particularly pure batch of LSD known as Orange Sunshine. Ah, okay, gotcha. Orange Sunshine. So I have definitely heard of Orange Sunshine. This is a legendary batch of acid. I've definitely heard older partakers of cannabis and and psychedelics say that acid has never really been the same, that you can't really get such good acid nowadays. I've done my share of acid. I really, really like it. I mean, it's certainly one of my favorite psychedelics. And if not my favorite psychedelic, it's kind of interesting to think that there was a time where there was like artisanal acid. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like this was the good shit, as they say. Yeah, I mean it's 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 legend is is renowned to this day. How yeah. much when I say they produced copious amounts, wanna uh, in terms of individual hits, any any guess? Oof. Like, Just this small group of like surfer smuggling psychedelic brotherhood of eternal love hippie mafia folks. Like a hundred thousand? Five million hits. Ooh, that's a lot of hits. Yes. Produced and distributed. <laughs> produced a lot of hits. Yeah, you could definitely <laughs> retire. If you, yeah. if, like, I think, you know, Quincy Jones has that many hits. Yeah, and, like, right. Seriously. Two or three other people. Tom Petty. Holy but, shit. That's a lot of hits, man. And that's a lot of turned on minds, you know? Yeah, but this is all part of a mission for them. So uh, much of the Brotherhood's LSD production was given away for free as part of their attempt to, quote, turn on the world. Wow. Fantastic. Now, how do you think they funded 
this altruistic consciousness raising agenda. Hmm. So this guy's definitely got a checkered past. He's, uh, you know, no stranger to armed robbery and whatnot. So I'm guessing there was some illicit means to funding all this. It was definitely illicit. But, you know, remember they, they threw the guns in the ditch. Oh, right. Okay, so they said they'd never return to their criminal past, so... Well, violence. Ah. (laughs) But what about the crime of smuggling hashish from Afghanistan into the United States? Some would say not a crime at all. (laughs) Some would say a mitzvah. Yeah, a service, (laughs) truly, to your fellow man. (laughs) L'chaim. Yeah, l'chaim to you guys. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so... They're, they're kind of giving away as much LSD as they can and running this commune and trying to start their own society. And they're paying for it all by going to Afghanistan, acquiring hashish and bringing it into the United States. Wow. Oh, my God. And of course, Afghanistan is famous uh, as an ancient producer of hash. Yeah. And this is a time, too. Uh, it's before the Russian invasion of Afghanistan. Mm. And at that time, um, and I've talked to old heads who went over there as part of this hippie trail that ran through parts of Europe and into Central Asia, and as people who were hashish smugglers, before war was brought to Afghanistan, first by the Russians and later by the United States and lots of other conflicts, it was a place where the concept of hospitality was sacred and, and and still is, I'm sure. I had somebody who I talked to who was a hashi smuggler over there, and he told me as a white man, simply being novel, I could have walked from one end of Afghanistan to the other and been an, a guest in someone's home every night, been an honored guest for dinner every night, and all people wanted to do was find out about my life mm-hmm. and and have the honor of giving someone hospitality because the surrounding environment is so harsh that yeah. that's what you would want for yourself. Exactly. So this is very interesting. This is a concept that I'm very familiar with as it's part of Pashtun culture, right, which is also, uh, which also exists in Pakistan, uh, you know, in, in, in the northwestern part of Pakistan, which is the part that borders Afghanistan, where this is a custom, right? And it essentially arises from very ancient tribal law that says that if somebody enters your home or your community, that you are obligated to feed them, clothe them, and protect them, right? It also happens that this is very close to the birthplace of cannabis. And these are regions with lots and lots of mountain cannabis. And it is definitely a part of the culture in some respects to consume that cannabis. They're not subject to the same bullshit Western-influenced laws that prohibit cannabis in these uh, colonized parts of the world that we're talking about, right? Yeah. And when these Brotherhood of Eternal Love uh, people show up, they get that treatment of That's a guest beautiful. and obviously that leads to some seshes and obviously that leads to wait hash is how cheap here 
They're like, Chief, it's everywhere. <laughs> it's like, the, wait, this coffee table is made out of ash? <laughs> yeah, it, it's like seriously that kind of situation up there. So when they start to figure out, you know, what this hash would be worth in the United States, and once they sort of... Uh, really get in with the locals in Afghanistan and start to get the local price, not the uh, down at the boardwalk price. The tourist price. (laughs) (laughs) They're getting the friend price. Yeah. They start smuggling it and they're putting it inside musical instruments and VW buses and hollowed out surfboards. Wow. Those are like the three classic smuggling devices (laughs) right there. And so these two things go on in parallel. They have this very profitable hash smuggling business. And at the same time, they're making and distributing millions of hits of Orange Sunshine. Wow. Incredible. And starting their own utopian society. Man, this all sounds like shit that I would love to get down on. You know, <laughs> it's just a fantastic trio of things going on here. And they're surfing. And they're surfing. Uh, you know, that falls into the category of crazy white people shit for me. <laughs> Can't, can't get down with that as much, but all the other stuff, I am down with. Okay, so as I was saying, everything's going great. Oh, no, don't say it. <laughs> don't say it. All right, so this is that part of great moments of weed history. You know, you can't really have a great moment without the police showing up. <laughs> whoop, whoop, they're here. Well, you know, we started out by saying we're going to find out who invented dabs uh, through testimony at this uh, Senate. Oh, yeah, of course. And of course, that came after this very big operation against the Brotherhood, where 57 members were simultaneously arrested or indicted as part of this huge federal operation. But before that, just some of the other stuff they were up to, just just to give you a, a little flavor. Yeah. Uh, they produced and starred in their own propaganda film, which was called Rainbow Bridge and featured Jimi Hendrix. Welcome, cosmic brothers and sisters of Maui, to the Rainbow Bridge Migratory Color Sound Experiment. I done left that town. Y'all had to leave that town. I'm sure Jimi Hendrix took LSD on many occasions, but you will see, if you ever want to see, like, what does Jimi Hendrix look like when he took too much LSD and he's still trying to play guitar? Oh, no way. Get, get yourself a copy of Rainbow Bridge. It still sounds good, but you're like, you okay? Holy shit. I got to see this movie. <laughs> they played a major role in the creation of the legendary strain, and I know it's one of your favorites to say. Maui Wowie. Maui Wowie. Maui Wowie. Yeah. So they have, uh, like, one of their compounds is in Hawaii, and that's where they developed Maui Wowie. Huh. Another fun thing they did once was they dropped 25,000 tabs of acid from an airplane onto one of their beach parties. Holy shit. That's fucking amazing. It's just raining acid suddenly. <laughs> acid rain. The good kind. <laughs> yeah, that was a good kind. And the Brotherhood of Eternal Love also helped break their spiritual and political inspiration out of prison. Any idea? Hmm. Was it Abby Hoffman? Close. It was Timothy Timothy Leary. Timothy Leary, and they did it. And here's a heist movie you got to put together. You got to put the crew together. So the crew is (laughs) the Brotherhood of Eternal Love, who we've talked about. You son of a bitch, I'm in. (laughs) (laughs) And then you've got the Black Panthers. (laughs) And then you've got the Weather Underground. Holy shit. Oh, my God. That's literally, it's like the Avengers 
of, of fucking activism of that era. Yeah, this is the expanded overthrow the government universe. Wow, holy shit. So they did all of that, and then this is one of my favorites. Uh, Orange Sunshine, that the LSD, mm-hmm. was even name-dropped on the first season of Saturday Night Live in a sketch where then-President Jimmy Carter, played by Dan Aykroyd, is talking someone down who's having a difficult LSD experience. Hello? Hello? Hello, hello, Peter. Is this the president? Yes, it is. Do you have a question for the president? Uh, I, uh, I took some acid. (laughs) I'm uh, afraid to leave my apartment and I can't wear any clothes. And the ceiling is dripping. And, uh... I, uh... Well, thank you very much for calling, sir. Please. No, no, just a minute, Walter. This guy's in trouble. I think I better try to talk him down. Peter? Yeah. <laughs> Peter, what did the acid look like? Um, they were these little orange pills. Were they barrel shaped? Uh, yes. Okay, right. You did some orange sunshine, Peter. <laughs> very good of you to know that, this sir. How long ago did you take it, Peter? Uh, I don't know. I can't read my watch. All right, Peter. Now, just listen. Everything's going to be fine. You're, you're very high right now. You'll probably be that way for about five more hours. Try taking some um, vitamin B complex, uh-huh. vitamin C complex. If you have a beer, go ahead and drink it. Okay. Just remember, you're a living organism on this planet, and you're very safe. You've just taken a heavy drug. Now, right. just relax. Stay inside and listen to some music, okay? Yeah. Do, you, do you have any Almond Brothers? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do, sir. Everything's okay, huh, Jimmy? It sure is, Peter. You know, I'm against drug use myself, but I'm not going to lay that on you right now. Just mellow out the best you can, okay? Okay. Okay. Well done, Mr. President. Bravo. <laughs> so this thing really entered the zeitgeist. Orange Sunshine was a known entity at this point. Yeah, and can you imagine, like, hearing your LSD shouted out on Saturday Night Live? That's fucking crazy. But what's all this got to do with the invention of highly concentrated cannabis oil? Yeah, I mean, I kind of have my theories at this point, but uh, this is a pretty unexpected story, so uh, I'll just wait to hear. All right, well, we're going to have to go back to this 1973 uh, Senate hearing on hashish smuggling and the Brotherhood of Eternal Love. And in this exchange, uh, a gentleman, not friend of the podcast... J.G. Sourwine. Wow, this guy sounds like a dick. (laughs) Wait till I add. Chief counsel for the Senate Subcommittee on the Judiciary. Okay, not fun sounding either. No. And he's asking a DEA agent at this hearing to tell him the origin story of a product, the Brotherhood of Eternal Love, called Honey Oil. Yeah, that's right. And the cops call it hashish oil. Okay, because they're dumb. <laughs> no, it, it essentially is hashish oil. But okay, gotcha. Yeah, right. So honey oil is definitely one of the early terms I came across because like BHO can refer to butane hash oil, but some people would also say butane honey oil. Yes, the first time I was ever offered a modern dab was actually with uh, in a room with Tommy Chong. Oh, nice. And uh, I think he allegedly might have brought it. And <laughs> it was I was just told honey oil. And I, I, I didn't even know what it was. And uh, so did somebody like blowtorch a titanium yeah, nail? Yeah, it was definitely the blowtorch era. Yes, and which we're was, still in. Yeah, it was definitely uh, quite strong. 
Yeah. I was like, I, his tattoo looks like Tommy Chong. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, for a lot of people who have smoked cannabis for a long time and are, quote unquote, chasing the dragon of the high that, you know, you get like the first time you smoke weed, which is, you know, the, the strongest high and kind of the one that's like, you know, holy shit. Yeah. Like, will I ever get that high again? Right. Doing a dab for the first time is like getting high for the first time all over again. Yeah, and we should. We're uh, we are definitely uh, not your pops. Great moments in weed history, but I'll just say, you know, uh, even if you're very used to cannabis flower, use a little caution if you're a new dabber, and certainly extend that to LSD. Okay, so let's get back into the Senate subcommittee. Uh, this is an exchange between JG Sourwine and this DEA agent. Blah. Ah. Was it the Brotherhood which invented or first developed hashish oil? And the DEA agent says, yes, that is right. Uh, sour wine. Who in the Brotherhood was responsible for the development of hashish oil? DEA agent. According to our best intelligence sources, it was Ronald Hadley Stark. Ronald Hadley Stark. Fucking weed legend. The guy who invented dabs. That's pretty amazing, man. I mean, seeing like all the culture that's popped up around this way of consuming cannabis. I mean, this is really it's driving the entire industry in a lot of ways. Right. And it was invented so recently by this guy. What was his name again? Ronald Hadley Stark. Ronald Hadley Stark. What a guy. What a guy. But before we start, you know, erecting a statue to the esteemed Mr. Stark in the center of Dab Square. Ah, he's not the guy. Mm-hmm. We should probably note that even a cursory Googling of his name reveals an acid-soaked past as checkered as any double agent pulled from a spy novel. Whoa, no way. Do go on. Oh, way. According to various sources, at various times, Ronald Hadley Stark has been pegged as an undercover CIA asset sent to subvert the counterculture, a rogue KGB operative sent to foment a new American revolution, a ruthless career criminal disguised as a peace and love flower child, and a cunning snitch who transformed the brotherhood of eternal love from idealistic hippies into international drug smugglers, then helped the government take them down before walking away with all the loot. Holy shit. I don't even know where to begin or who to believe. So this is like the type of thing where my mind is just racing with, all right, who's doing what to cover up for what, you know? Because it could be that the cops, the feds, or the DEA is like, Oh, okay. Yeah, this is the guy who invented it. See, we're calling him out in court, right? So he couldn't possibly be one of our agents. He's the guy we're pinning with being the mastermind of this whole thing. But that could just be a cover for the fact that he actually is some kind of operative. For that matter, he could also just be some hippie guy who they've created all these stories around to, you know, shake the idea that he is just an ordinary hippie guy, that he's actually some sort of like crazy career criminal. Like, that's so fucking insane. I don't even know who to believe. But, I mean, perhaps this is not the guy then who invented dabs? I believe it is. Yeah? Because there's documentation from the other side of the story, too. I think the question is more, 
was he truly a member of the Brotherhood? Was he a CIA snitch? Was he a KGB operative? Was he just an uh, opportunistic person? I, I'm, you know, almost 20 years of reporting on cannabis and drugs and weirdness. I like to think of myself as a bit of like a connoisseur of rabbit holes. <laughs> yeah. This is the rabbitiest hole. Actually, I guess it's this is the holiest rabbit <laughs> I've ever encountered. And the truth, as they say, probably lies somewhere in the middle and is no doubt very complicated because this is like a murky world within a murky world on acid. Whoa. Uh, double agent territory. And so it's not just me. There's a great book, very extensively uh, researched, called The Brotherhood of Eternal Love by a writer named David Solomon. And here's how he summed it up. Ronald Stark is an enigma. Many people can describe him and remember conversations or events where he was there, yet they cannot say who exactly he really was. With a clutch of different identities, he moved like a chameleon from communes and LSD laboratories to luxury hotels and exclusive gentlemen's clubs. The major LSD producer who became the Brotherhood's advisor and partner was also an advisor and confidant of terrorists, walking with Arab princes and Sicilian mafioso. So, yeah, I mean, when it comes to Ronald Stark, it seems like nobody can pin this butterfly down. And I just say to listeners, before we take our, our, our break in a sec, like if this story just sounds too far-fetched and too wild and, and too improbable, what you need to do is hit pause and go familiarize yourself with something called Project MK Ultra. Oh, so that's where we're headed. Well, it certainly uh, helps to know that at this very same time that the FBI is going after the Brotherhood of Eternal Love anywhere and anyhow they can, the CIA is running a covert mind control program called MKUltra, in which the U.S. spy agency is playing a leading role in the proliferation of LSD, uh, including testing the powerful psychedelic on unwitting prisoners, military personnel, fellow agents, random people who sign up for medical experiments, and even an entire village in France that the CIA dosed. Wow. So these are definitely, at this point, legends in acid history. But this shit really happened. Yeah, it's very well documented. And there's a great book called Acid Dreams by Martin Lee, who is a friend, a literal friend of the podcast. And it really documents this whole uh, MK Ultra CIA LSD link. And so, you know, the idea that Ronald Stark could be somehow connected to both the CIA and the Brotherhood of Eternal Love is not only possible, it, it seems very likely. And when we come back from the break, we're going to see how this all uh, unfolds. Oh, my God. So this is like a twisty, turny, like psychedelic detective noir film that we've entered into. I can't wait to hear the rest of it. I'm going to finish rolling this joint. We'll be right back. Smoke weedia. And we're back. I got this fresh joint rolled so we can get really lit while we keep talking about this twisty, turny story involving Ronald Hadley Stark, the guy who purportedly invented dabs, cannabis solvent concentrates, 
uh, which are so popular today. And oh my God, so far, this one has been a real mind bender. Yeah, well, you you get a group together that makes five million hits of acid and invents the dab. You're gonna you're gonna twist and turn and bend some minds. I think it's definitely a definitely good two joint show. Yeah, this is a mandatory two joint minimum show. And so so far, the only real statement that we've heard that this is the guy who invented BHO or invented this type of cannabis concentrate is from a Senate Judiciary Committee memo or hearing or or something like that. But is there any corroboration that this is actually the guy? Like, who is this guy? Well, who is this guy is a complicated story. But I think we can uh, drill down a little bit into how did these dabs come about. And it actually goes back to something you talked about at the top. Mm. which was the original purpose of making concentrates in hashish. Mm. Yeah, which is to transport it more easily. Yes. Ronald Hadley Stark came up with what bright idea? Ah, using solvents to concentrate the cannabis into a form that's much easier to transport. Exactly. And so this is how the same DEA agent, uh, Boo Hiss, and so forth. Yeah, fuck the DEA. (laughs) Uh, I don't think they, do they still exist? (laughs) They've been renamed something else under Trump. They're like... (coughs) Space Force. Jerk squad. (laughs) (laughs) So this is going back to the same Senate testimony, and the DEA agent says, the Brotherhood... And I'm going to put it in. Of eternal love, motherfucker. Eternal fucking love. Someday on your deathbed, when your DMT gland releases, you'll know. Yeah, exactly. We all will. But until then, uh, this DEA agent says, The Brotherhood was not content merely to smuggle and market hashish. Under the guidance of one of its chief chemists, a.k.a. Ronald Hadley Stark, Mm -hmm. They developed the manufacture of an even more potent product called hashish oil or honey. Right. Okay. So this is the stuff. This is dabs. This is a high quality cannabis concentrate we're talking about here. The dawn of the dab. Black gold. Texas tea. (laughs) HC. (laughs) In the course of our investigation, six such hashish oil laboratories were seized. So, yeah, I mean, these are dab labs. And he goes on. Uh, This DA agent says, uh, in the course of the investigation, six of these hash oil laboratories were seized. The marijuana product resulting from their operation, in some cases, may have achieved a THC content of up to 90%. All right, so I'll read the rest of this exchange because it's really pretty fascinating. Uh, J.G. Sourwine says, 90% purity is extremely high, is it not? The DA agent says... That is right. In normal marijuana, it would run 3 to 5%. And then he's still on this. Sour wine says, as an oil, you cannot get it much higher, can you? And the DEA agent says, I do not believe so. We have never seen it any higher. Yeah, of course you haven't because it's all oil. That's like, you know what I'm saying? Like, Oh, it's like you can't get oil much purer than 100% oil. Be like, that's what this shit is, bro. This is fucking (laughs) pure oil. This is the resin of the plant. So the way I explain it is that as maple syrup is to a maple tree, right? Cannabis concentrate is to the cannabis plant. Yeah. 
when you understand the history and the evolution of this product, it also tells you about the evolution of this culture and connects us now back to these ancient cultures in a way that like, okay, ethnically, I don't have a link to them uh, as you do, but weedily, I do Mm -hmm. feel that link. Um, And obviously dabbing goes back or this product goes back to the brotherhood of eternal love, but it rose and it fell when they got, when all these labs were shut down, Mm. there wasn't a supply of honey oil or butane oil or anything, Mm. uh, a commercial supply of it for another 20 to 30 years. Wow. Um, And then when basically, uh, as legalization boomed, especially in Colorado, you would have this new market. So what you're saying is that the feds effectively shut down dabs for everybody for decades by killing off these few dab labs. Yeah, I mean, I hate to give it to them on anything. They certainly never stopped us from smoking weed. They (laughs) certainly never stopped us from smoking hash. (laughs) They certainly never stopped anything else. But in this one little sliver, just because the Brotherhood threw uh, LSD consciousness plus ancient wisdom from the mountains of Afghanistan in this very specific moment in time and place... When they were able to shut that down, yes, it set the dab movement back like 30 years. Holy shit. And this is so crazy because the dab movement is so young and it was almost so much older. Like it almost started so much earlier. Imagine where we would be now. It's evolved so much in the last 15 years, right? Yeah. So maybe we should we should bring it home with the brotherhood. Ah, home with the brotherhood. Home with the brotherhood. So the the DEA reported that a typical hashish lab run by the brotherhood was relatively inexpensive to set up. Shout out uh, DIY. DIY for life. (laughs) Yeah. Just like we started this show. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, when you're breaking the law, you don't want a lot of overhead. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And guess how much each, each of these individual dab labs could produce? Hmm. In like uh, in a day. Wait. Yeah. In 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 well in liquid measure. Hmm. Uh, like a liter, two liters. I actually don't know if this is more or less three quarts. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'm not doing that fucking math. Yeah. You're not doing that fucking math. We're gonna just move on for this. It, it was three quarts. However many liters that is. Two point eight four liters. You know what? Email us. And I know that like Dabmaster87 is going to hit us up in the comments to the podcast, which isn't really a thing, and be like, bro, I'm like a four quarts to the head every day myself. <laughs> yeah. Not impressed. Oh, yeah. And whoever that guy is and you're listening to this, you know who you are. <laughs> yeah, or you know that that's your buddy. And this is some foreshadowing. Mm. How do you think the DEA found out about honey oil? The internet. Well, that would be some foreshadowing. (laughs) Uh, Uh, No, how? An oil refinery exploded in Kabul. Whoa. Holy shit. 
Wait, so a weed oil refinery yeah, or an actual yeah. one? No, one of the Brotherhood's weed oil refineries oh my God. exploded. So th- this is a thing that had started to become a big problem. Frankly, it was one of those kind of evening news hysteria things to a degree, but it's definitely happened to a lot of people because they're making butane hash oil at home. They're using a flammable solvent and, you know, not being careful enough. So essentially, when you do this, what you're doing is you're packing a bunch of cannabis flour into a tube, and then you're going to run butane or whatever solvent it is through, right? So if there's any flame anywhere, like, it's it's going to, you're going to explode. Basically, this is not something you should be doing. This is not something you should be doing. I definitely discourage it because, look, if you're in a place where weed is not legal, if you're in a place where weed is legal, you have access to cannabis concentrates. Just go buy it from the professionals, right? If you're in a place where it's not legal and you already have the raw material, just smoke it or make edibles, for God's sake. And you also have a mailbox. I mean, yeah, don't yeah. contact me. Yeah. <laughs> but USPS is, is the world's leading dab supplier. Yeah, because they need a warrant to search your packages and they don't have nearly enough personnel to actually search the packages. So... You know, that's how cannabis concentrate ends up uh, all over America from the places that it's produced uh, in perhaps states where it's legal. You know, that brings us to the end of our of our time with the Brotherhood. Uh, Wow. Ronald Hadley Stark, hero, innovator, villain, spy, subversive force against the counterculture, acid fueled genius. Who knows at this point? I mean, and that's really the fascinating thing about this story is that usually when we're talking about a great moment in weed history, there's very clear good guys and bad guys from anyone's perspective, right? But this is such a complex and kind of divisive figure. And I don't really know where I fall on the guy. I mean, look, maybe he was just purely a businessman who had infiltrated the brotherhood of eternal love and came up with this innovation just for the capital benefit of it, right? Which is like, uh, feels a little bit of a fucked up reason to do it, but he yielded this thing that I think is pretty great, which is cannabis concentrate culture, right? Or he's actually a guy who was fully a part of the brotherhood and was just being demonized, in which case, I mean... I'm also happy that he invented butane hash oil, <laughs> I suppose. But I mean, he could be so many other things in between, right? He could be a, like a crazy terrorist. He could be a CIA operative. He might be some version of all of these things. Uh, I don't know. It's it's just so, it's so confounding and confusing. And I feel like this is the type of thing, like you said, it's the rabbitiest, holiest rabbit hole of them all. Like, I feel like this is going to send me down a crazy internet spiral. Yeah, I, I can actually say, you know, just doing the show, I get so into the research, and then I do have to bring it to something that's a story I could tell you and yeah. not a million diversions and everything. But if you're like us, and you're still listening to this show, so you are... <laughs> uh 
Google, Google, just Google him, man. Just Google him and go uh, get a copy of Acid Dreams if you're interested in that. There's two really good books uh, about the brotherhood, one called The Brotherhood of Eternal Love, one called Orange Sunshine. And there's two incredible documentaries, uh, one called Orange Sunshine and one called The Sunshine Makers. But if you really want to get into this story, you need to Google Ronald Hadley Stark. And then you're going to go to some websites that you should probably uh, delete from your computer. Yeah, use a VPN. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Bean, that was an incredible story. Thank you so much. My mind is kind of blown right now. Uh, I I don't know which way to turn. I feel like I've just watched, like, the most confounding psychedelic mystery film ever. And truly, this man remains an enigma. But... He left the world with something that has literally changed the face of cannabis culture, and that's the modern cannabis concentrate, the dab. I mean, cannabis concentrates truly changed the game, and Ronald Hadley Stark was the guy, or at least one of the guys. But that's pretty wild. If you're out there making hash, keep doing it and do it clean and good, you know, for the benefit of everybody around you. And thank you guys so much for sticking around. We'll see you next time. Great Moments in Weed History is a Spoke Media production. It's hosted by me, Abdullah Saeed, and David Bienenstock, a.k.a. Bean. We're produced by Cody Hoffmacher with help from Reyes Mendoza, Trey Jones, and Carson McCain. This episode was mixed by Jonathan Villalobos. Our head of post-production is Will Short. Our executive producers are Aliyah Tabakolian and Keith Reynolds. We're recorded at Gold Digger Studio by Gabe Wilhelm. Shout out to our patrons on Patreon. If you want to follow us on social media, we're at GMIWH Podcast on all platforms. Check out our show notes for links to our sponsors. Support us by supporting them. Thanks for listening. Well, that's the show, folks. Thanks so much for listening. And if you stuck around this long, please consider supporting us on Patreon. You can put five on it at Great Moments in Weed History. Dot com And that would really help us as we research, write, edit, and publish a new episode every Weedness Day. Great Moments in Weed History is written, produced, and performed by me, David Beanenstock, a.k.a. Bean. Special thanks to our sponsor, PAX. Go to PAX.com and use promo code GREATMOMENTS, all one word, for a big discount at checkout.